If you uh, would, would you open your Bible uh, to the book of Acts? Uh, this morning we'll be examining uh, verses 1 through 23 together. As is our custom, uh, we are systematically uh, going through the, the Bible one book at a time. Uh, we will first uh, seek God, the Holy Spirit, in prayer. We'll then read the entirety of the passage under consideration, and then we'll make observations and applications as we divide the passage further. So would you join me in prayer this morning? And Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us this morning. We ask for eyes to see, to see ourselves and to see others through the lens of Jesus Christ. We pray for the church that gathers at Dilly this morning. I pray that you would guide them in their search for a shepherd. Help your servant there this morning and here this morning bring forth the gospel clearly, correctly, and compellingly. Help us here at Spring Hill this morning, giving us grace to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking through the preaching of your word this morning. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the Holy Spirit-inspired, infallible, inerrant, powerful word of God from Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate 
and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, whom was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. This is God's word. You may be seated. The son of a well-known preacher and a preacher who is of some renown himself in Atlanta, Georgia, once said this, we as Christians must unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. This, of course, is heresy. If we're to reject or to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, then we must also unhitch ourselves from the teaching of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus taught the disciples exclusively from the Old Testament. Right before his ascension to heaven, Luke records the last teaching of Jesus to his disciples in chapter 24, beginning verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, we do not need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, nor do we need to divorce ourselves from the law of God, but we must see the Old Testament and the law of God with a new lens. In our recent study of Acts chapter 9, we looked at Paul's conversion, and Paul was blind to Jesus Christ because he was blinded by his pride in law-keeping. The light of Jesus Christ then came and blinded Paul that he would be given a new vision, a new lens, that he might see the law through the lens of Christ. In our text today, Peter is given a vision. This vision will give him a new lens through which he will see the people of God that God is calling to himself. So as we look at our passage today, uh, it's located in a, in a broader section we could think of as this uh, story about the salvation of, of Cornelius. The section uh, of Acts here is 10.1 through 11.18, and I have divided it into four scenes, but three sermons. So the first two scenes we will do today. Uh, but scene one is verses uh, one through eight, uh, as we see the, the vision given to Cornelius. Uh, scene two is verses nine through 23a, and that is the vision given to Peter. And scene three is uh, chapter 10, verses 23b through 48. Uh, this is the good news that these three visions bring. And the final scene is Peter's report to the church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, uh, verses one through 18. Like I said, for this morning, uh, we will concentrate on these first two visions. Let us look uh, more closely at Cornelius' vision, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Peter, as we saw last week, is likely following up on the evangelism of Philip. He's traveling traveling through Judea, away from Jerusalem. He's visiting the areas of Galilee and Samaria. And here he comes to the town of Caesarea. Caesarea is a relatively new town that was built by Herod the Great. Caesarea is the center, or had become the center, of Rome's administrative government uh, in the area and region of Judea. And there's a sentry named Cornelius, and he resides there. A little thing about what a, what a century uh, or this name, uh, Cornelius, this centurion, uh, a little background on him. The, the title centurion would correspond with the ranking of what we call today uh, a non-commissioned officer. He's like a, a sergeant, a staff sergeant or a, a master sergeant in the, in the military. Uh, the centurion uh, here is of an Italian cohort. And this Italian cohort was, was formed from troops in Italy. Uh, since there are no uh, Roman legions and they didn't exist in Judea, uh, this cohort of military men are those that, that were formed in Italy and brought to the region of Judea. Uh, they're not men engaged in the field work. Uh, they are given duties of kind of an auxiliary nature. Uh, this is what we called when I was in the military of servicing in garrison. You're kind of um, in the rear with the gear is kind of the statement. You're not a frontline kind of person, but you serve a purpose, right? Yeah, you serve a good purpose for the military. Uh, you're in the rear with the gear and there are other troops who are engaged in maneuvers and battle. Well, this centurion of the Italian cohort assigned to Caesarea was named Cornelius. Significant about Cornelius' name is it was a name often given to slaves who had been uh, given their freedom by a man named Cornelius Sulla in about 82 BC. So although they were freed from uh, slavery, they were often conscribed to military service. They were given their freedom and then conscribed to military service. Um, Cornelius, we will see, uh, he will be one centurion mightily used by God. But to the Jewish religious mind, Cornelius could not be useful to the cause of God, because although he was significant in that he, he, was, he was a man of prayer, he was a man of faith, he had not undergone circumcision. And such people were regarded as pagans in Jerusalem. And in fact, we'll see later that Peter is admonished when he returns to Jerusalem for engaging with just such people. In Acts chapter 11, and so, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And you know, as we think about the story, some might think that the most important thing to know about Cornelius is that he and his family were worshipers of God, that he was a giver of offerings, that he was a contributor to social justice, that he was a man of prayer, that he was a seeker of God. Well, although he was a man of prayer, he was a man of sacrificial giving, 
He was a man who did not yet know Jesus. He too needed a new lens. He needed to see Jesus. He needed to have the lens of Christ to truly worship, to truly pray, to truly contribute to the cause of God's justice. But really, I think the most significant fact about Cornelius was not that he was a seeker of God, but the most significant fact that we'll see over the next three weeks is that Jesus Christ was seeking him. The most significant thing about his story and his placement in here is that Jesus was seeking him. That Jesus was going to not only seek him, but that God would use him. That God would use him to give Peter a new lens. And that he and people like him, because of this new lens, would come to know Jesus Christ. Some churches today think this kind of thing. Kind of an all-inclusive message. That even though the person doesn't know Christ, as long as they love God, and as long as they do good in the world, then the Lord is pleased with them and they'll be okay. Acts 10 is a story of a Savior seeking sinners. The Savior seeks those who, whether or not in the world they appear good or they appear bad, However they appear according to human thinking matters not. Whether they live in America, in Israel, or whether they live in an Islamic nation, or whether they live in an uncivilized jungle. Here we see God uses an angel to bring Cornelius and Peter together. That through Peter's proclamation of the gospel that he would be saved. God sent his son, you see, to seek the lost. In our passage today, God would give Peter, a new lens to view the people that God is calling to himself through. He would give him the eyes of Christ. See, the story of the conversion of Cornelius is significant. It is the longest narrative in the book of Acts. This is a significant moment in the advance of the gospel. God is showing us that the gospel is for all people, not just Jews which is in accordance with, of course, the purposes that we heard in the, in the opening kind of statement of the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8, that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. Moving on, here we are at verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he, Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God Come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So the angel is, is, is come to Cornelius and he's, He's come to Cornelius to show him that he needs to go and find Peter. The angel calls Cornelius at three o'clock in the afternoon. It is the ninth hour of prayer. What, what, what we ought to notice here in this passage is Cornelius' response. How does he respond when he is in front of the supernatural? He responds in terror. 
Terror in the scriptures is the natural reaction when human beings encounter the supernatural. And then the angel assures Cornelius, there's no need for, for fear. Your prayers have been heard. And God knows of your charity. See, it says that his prayers had gone up as a memorial before God. They had ascended to him. The language here is language that is used of sacrifice, like smoke having ascended up to God. Your prayers have come to me as a memorial, like smoke. They have come up to me. Your works have made it to me. For example, of this smoke ascending up to God as our prayers go up to Him. Psalm 141 verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as an incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Or another example in Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that that acknowledge His name. The nature of God's response to Cornelius' prayers here is not really revealed, but rather Cornelius is given instructions. Those instructions would require an act of faith and an act of obedience on the part of Cornelius. When the angel who spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius sends three messengers. These three messengers are composed of two servants and a military orderly uh, who shared the same faith with him. And all of them would go together to explain the situation to Peter. I want us to ask us ourselves this question. Why did God send an angel to Cornelius to find Peter? Why didn't the angel proclaim the gospel to Peter? Well, I mean to, to Cornelius. Why didn't the angel just proclaim the gospel to Peter? Why did he reveal himself and say, go get Peter? See, it's not the business of angels to preach the gospel. God has appointed, appointed man to proclaim Christ. Gospel proclamation is the purpose of men and women in Christ, boys and girls. You see, God could thunder the gospel from heaven. But you, Drew, you, Jesse, you, Jim, but you are his chosen instruments to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbor to your co-workers, to your family members, to your friends, and even to your enemies. To those of us who maybe see evangelism as a toil or some chore to be obeyed begrudgingly or something to be avoided, I want you to know this, that you're robbing yourself of joy. The scripture teaches us that if we don't proclaim the gospel, we are robbing ourselves of joy. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Do you want joy? 
Do you want to shine in this life and shine so brightly here that it will be noticed in heaven? This is what Daniel chapter 12 says. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you, if you are feeling no joy in your salvation, are you proclaiming your salvation to others? Are you proclaiming Jesus Christ to others? The Word of God says that happy are the feet who proclaim the good news. Happy are the feet who proclaim the good news. Beautiful. Happy. Said so that those who bring many, who turn many, to righteousness shine like the stars. Well, let us turn our attention to scene two and Peter's vision. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and so all the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. For what reason are you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. You cannot bring the joyous good news of Jesus Christ if you find certain types of people disgusting. I'm going to repeat this. You cannot bring the joyous good news of Jesus Christ to people if you find certain people disgusting. Certain types. In our passage, you see, according to the law, a Jew could not allow a Gentile into his house for any reason. They were unclean. And now as we look at Peter's vision, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were Preparing it, he fell into a trance. While the messengers are still on their way, this is the sixth hour. Peter is set to pray, which is around noon. 
and him being a good and faithful uh, Jewish man, you know, three times per day was the pattern of Jewish prayer life. Psalm 55 and verse 17 kind of sums that up. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. In Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts, Luke uh, emphasizes that God speaks while you are in prayer. In Acts 13 verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In Luke 3 and in verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, it was then that the heavens opened up. Peter was in a condition. He was in a good condition to receive a vision from God, to receive a word from God because he was a man of prayer. Joe and I have talked about this often that people often complain that they don't get much out of their Bible study. I would uh, propose this to you. Do you want to get the most out of your Bible study? I suggest that if you want to receive the Word of God for your life, pray. Pray before you open the Word. Pray the Word as you read it. Pray after you read the Word that God would bring to mind those things in His Word to which He is calling you. Peter's hunger also may have contributed to him being prepared to receive from the Lord. You know, I was thinking about this. Most of us have never truly been hungry, have we? You know, I was thinking back when I was a kid and parents would bring something to the table that I didn't like. Like they would bring some sort of, you know, liver and onions, which I couldn't stand. I would say, no, I'm not going to eat that. I can't eat that. But you know, when you think about it, if you're hungry, like the rat in the, in the kids' movie Ratatouille, once you get past the gag reflex, all sorts of food possibilities open up, right? But when you get really hungry, when you get really hungry, you eat what's given, right? You eat what is in front of you. Well, Peter's hunger gives him this vision. And he saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. All kinds of food possibilities have just opened up in his hunger. Here, rise, Peter. Whatever it is you want that's been presented to you, kill and eat. God declares to Peter, you see, here, more than just food. The new has come. He declares to him, in Christ there is liberty. In Christ you are set free from ritual. Jesus made a distinction, didn't he, between what was hygienic and what was ritualistic. Jesus made a distinction saying that the ritual cleansing was unnecessary. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, he said to them, 
Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart but into his stomach and is expelled? Let us look now at the lens through which Peter saw himself. God presents this. The sheet opens up. You are at liberty, Peter. In Christ you have freedom. You've been set free. Here's a myriad of choices to stop your hunger. And then Peter's heart is revealed. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Peter pridefully declares this. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. His language is of a person who has been blinded by legalism. The voice came of God came to him three times declaring what God has made clean do not call common. It's clear from this passage, as we move forward, that Peter saw through the lens of pharisaical legalism and not through the lens of Jesus Christ. We sometimes can see ourselves as common too, don't we? We have a tendency to say things to ourselves like, I have no talents, I have no abilities, I have nothing for which God could use me. You see, I'm no good. I do and say things that I'll, I regret. I struggle with things. I'm just common. I'm just dirt. I'm nothing. There is nothing more aggravating to me as a dad than sitting at the table with my children and hearing them speak that way about themselves. To hear them say, I'm ugly, I'm no good, I'm not smart. I cannot stand that sort of talk. You have infinite value in the eyes of God and in Jesus Christ sending His Son for you. If a brother or a sister's here, if you are in Christ, don't call yourselves common. Don't call what God has made clean, common. God has washed you in the blood of His only Son. God proved your worth in sending His Son to die for you and to die for your sin. Brothers and sisters, do not call common what God has made clean. You see, this passage seems as though it's about food, but it's clear that this passage is about people. It appears to be about food, isn't it? There's, there's the sheep and these foods you're at liberty to eat. And God tells him three times, don't call common what I have made clean. Passage, certainly it is about food. You have liberty to make those choices, don't you? But most importantly, this passage is about people. And we're going to see soon that Peter gets it. 
that Peter gets it. It took three times. How many times does it take for us to get it? How many times do we have to hear the same thing over and over and over from the Lord before we get it? So let's not do, be too harsh on Peter. That it took three times for God to remind him of what he was speaking to him. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And he called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be guests. Notice here that God works on both sides. God works on both sides. He spoke to Cornelius through an angel and to Peter in a vision and through a voice. This is confirmation that both Cornelius and Peter heard God correctly. Have you ever heard a brother or sister say, I have a word of the Lord for you. When this happens, I think our answer ought to be this. If this is a word from the Lord, he will tell me that also. Somebody tells you that they have a word from the Lord and it just doesn't come true. Is it a word from the Lord? Not at all. If somebody tells you they have a word from the Lord and is inconsistent with what you know the scriptures to say, is that a word from the Lord? No. When this happens, we ought to say, if this is a word from the Lord, the Lord will tell me too. The Lord told me to do this or that. So the Lord told me that the carpet ought to be green instead of blue. Well, the Lord didn't tell me that, so therefore it's blue. Right? If the Lord wants the carpet green, He'll tell me and He'll convince all of us that it ought to be green. The word of the Lord is confirmed here to both Cornelius and to Peter. And we see that the division uh, had the, the, the Spirit's intended effect on Peter, that, that the vision that had come, it had the Holy Spirit's intended effect on Peter. Peter now, with the lens of Christ, having discarded the lens of legalism, he sees the friends of the Gentile centurion as not unclean or uncommon. Peter invites them in. I want to ask us this because this is really, I've been praying, I've been praying this for myself, okay? And so I'm not condemning anyone for this thought. But are there certain types of people, certain types of sinners that somehow we feel are too defiled? Are there certain lifestyles that we find disgusting? Like so much so that we would never put ourselves in a place where they might be. I would remind us what Ephesians 2 says. 
Verses 11 through 16, it says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, that you, remember, at one time were separated from Christ, that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and that you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I say this again, you cannot love someone if you find them disgusting. You cannot win someone to Christ if you see them as something less than yourself. You can't win somebody if you think they're less than you. If you harbor that thought in your heart, you're looking through a lens of pride and self-righteousness. You can't win somebody to Jesus with that lens. You must put on the lens of Jesus Christ. I think you must look back and read Ephesians 2, 11 once again. You were once far off and alienated from God. You too were a foreigner. You too were without the promises of God. We must put on the lens of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus see those who were weak? How did Jesus look upon a leper? How did Jesus look upon the woman caught in adultery? How did Jesus see the woman at the well? How did Jesus see you? How did Jesus see me? We need to look at the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. And we must be those who seek out the least and the lost. As we pause now to reflect upon God's word in a moment of silence, I want us to reflect as we think about what was preached this morning. Ask each other some questions this morning as we fellowship in the foyer instead of maybe talking so much about what you're going to have for lunch or what you're going to do next week. Maybe, how did God speak to you personally from this passage? What kind of things does God want you and I to change in our lives as a result of his word? And then maybe ask God to help you live out what you learned and to help your brothers and sisters live out what you learned.